Welcome to Murder Minute. Today, the story of the Bever Brothers. But first, your true crime headlines. A Pennsylvania man has said to police that God told him that it was Judgment Day and that he should kill his children. 27-year-old Damien Korn was arrested and charged with two felonies and three misdemeanors after threatening a woman and a young child at a Holiday Inn Express in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. The woman called police and said that Korn had threatened to cut her up, blow her up, and that the children were going to heaven with him. She told police that Korn had placed her face down on a pillow struck her on the back of the head, and strangled her. When police arrived, she had bruises on her face and neck. Korn was taken into custody and booked into Franklin County Jail, where he was unable to post $25,000 bail. Damien Korn was charged with aggravated assault against a child under six, strangulation, and other related charges. A popular Instagram personality was murdered by a man she met online, who then shared grisly photos of the murder on social media. 17-year-old Bianca Devins met her killer online a few months ago. She chatted with 21-year-old Brandon Clark, and their relationship progressed into a personally intimate one, according to police. On the night that she was murdered, Devins and Clark traveled together to a concert in New York City. At the concert, Devon shared a kiss with another man, which apparently enraged Clark and led to an argument on the drive home and eventually to Bianca's murder. Clark posted gory photos of the murder on his Instagram account, along with a message reading, I'm sorry, Bianca. The photos were widely shared on Instagram, 4chan, and Discord. Some concerned users contacted police to report the gruesome images, and police began searching for Clark. Clark himself called 911 early Sunday morning to report his crime. When police arrived at the scene, they found Clark standing by a green tarp, which was covering Bianca Devon's body. He laid down on the tarp, stabbed himself in the neck, and took selfies next to Bianca's body before police took him into custody. Clark was transported to a nearby hospital where he was treated and later released and booked into jail on second-degree murder charges. Nine years ago, Brandon Clark's father, Jason, held Brandon's mother hostage in a 10-hour standoff with police, holding her at knife point and threatening to slit her throat and kill himself. Brandon Clark was 12 years old at the time. Jason Clark spoke to police after his son's arrest apologizing to Bianca's family and acknowledging that there was dysfunction in Brandon's childhood. A 27-year-old husband and father confessed to the rape and murder of American scientist Suzanne Eaton, who vanished while jogging on the Greek Isle of Crete on July 2nd. Eaton, 59, was a molecular biologist who was visiting Crete to attend a conference. She left her hotel room around 2 p.m. to go for a jog and was spotted by local farmer Yanis Periskakis, who struck her twice with his car and then placed her in the trunk. 
he drove her unconscious to an abandoned World War II bunker, where he raped her and left her for dead. Her body was found by cave explorers six days later. She had been stabbed, suffocated, and one of her ears had been cut off. Paraskakis confessed to police during questioning, telling them that he had been out looking for any woman that he could rape and kill, and that he sometimes felt the urge to harm someone. He is being held on charges of rape and murder, and local authorities are now investigating his possible involvement in other crimes in the area. The house where Leno and Rosemary LaBianca were murdered nearly 50 years ago by the followers of Charles Manson is now for sale. The listing for the house at 3311 Waverly Drive describes the property as a classic 1920s Los Feliz single-story home with two bedrooms and one and a half bathrooms and features a swimming pool, expansive yard, and breathtaking views of Los Angeles. The listing does not directly mention the brutal murders that took place in the home on August 10, 1969, but the agent's notes include instructions to please research before showing. Under California law, the owner of a property only has to disclose a death on the property if it occurred within three years of the purchase. The listing agent said that interest in the property was extremely high and that it has been so long since the crime that it is a non-issue for most people. The La Biancas were slaughtered by the Manson family just one day after they killed actress Sharon Tate and three others at Tate's rented home in Benedict Canyon, 11 miles away. That home changed hands several times after the murder before finally being demolished in 1994. Those are your true crime headlines. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute. Up next, the Bever family massacre. But first, a quick break. Everybody knows that every body needs to be taken care of. So if you've been searching for a new multivitamin or supplement, forget the drugstore you should be taking care of. Shopping for vitamins can be confusing, and supplements shouldn't be one-size-fits-all. That's why Care Of has created a subscription service to deliver vitamins and supplements customized to your specific health needs and delivered directly to your door. It's easy. Here's how it works. Visit TakeCareOf.com, take their five-minute online quiz, and answer questions about your diet, lifestyle choices, and health goals, and Care-of matches your personal profile with the best vitamins and supplements for your needs. Then Care-of sends your daily vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. These vitamin and supplement packs have your name on them. Literally, each pack has your name on it. And each packet is now made from a compostable plant-based film that meets the same high safety standards as the vitamins and supplements themselves, so your packs are kept fresh while now also taking care of the environment. Start taking care of yourself. For 25% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter the code MM. That's takecareof.com, code MM. 
Welcome back to Murder Minute. Today, a tale of two brothers. This is the story of the Bever family massacre. The Bever family kept to themselves. David and April Bever homeschooled their seven children. The couple had four sons and three daughters. They were Robert, age 18, Michael, 16, Crystal, 13, Daniel, 12, Christopher, 7, Victoria, 5, and the youngest, Autumn, was 2. The Bever family lived in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and kept a close eye on their children. They were never allowed to play with the neighborhood kids and appeared to have few friends or acquaintances. In fact, many neighbors had no idea of their names or how many children the Bevers actually had. The Bever home seemed quiet on the outside, but inside, the family was troubled. David Bever was a violent husband, and he and April were angry, volatile, even abusive parents. The Bevers managed to hide most of their domestic violence behind closed doors for 18 years. But on the quiet night of July 22, 2015, around 11.30 p.m., dispatchers received a 911 call from 709 Magnolia Court in Broken Arrow, the Bevers' house. The call came from Daniel, their 12-year-old son. He begged and pleaded with the dispatcher. Help! Help! My brother's attacking the family. In the background, fighting and commotion could be heard. Then, no Michael, no. The line went dead. The 911 dispatcher quickly traced the call and sent out a patrol car to check on the house. As police approached, they noticed that something was wrong. They could see blood smeared across the front porch. With their hands twitching toward their holsters, the officers carefully approached the front door and knocked. A voice came from inside, a cry for help. The officers kicked down the door and burst into the Bever home. What they saw at their feet was 13-year-old Crystal Bever, she was bleeding, her body covered in stab wounds, fighting for her life. The officers lifted Crystal as carefully as they could and carried her out of the house, radioing for backup. Back inside, police found David Bever, age 52, and April Bever, 44, both dead, their bodies covered in dozens of stab wounds. David had been stabbed 28 times. April, 48. Then, they found the children. Daniel Bever had been stabbed nine times. Seven-year-old Christopher had been stabbed six times. Victoria, still only five years old, had been stabbed all over her body, 18 stab wounds to her neck, chest, and back. Crystal Bever was rushed to the hospital, but not before she identified her brothers 
as the family assailants. The moment the police arrived, the brothers ran out of the back door and into the forest behind the house. The only member of the Bever family who survived untouched was two-year-old baby Autumn, who was still asleep in her room. The police called in a canine unit, who tracked down the brothers with ease. The teenagers were dragged out of the dirt and gave themselves up without incident. Strangely, the boys looked to be wearing what appeared to be soft body armor. As more and more units arrived on the scene and the Bever brothers were taken back to the patrol vehicles, one officer recalled 16-year-old Michael, emotionless and stoic, saying, I hope they're okay. The neighbors, who hardly knew the Bever family at all, watched as the horrific scene unfolded on their front lawns. When Robert and Michael Bever were brought into the police station for questioning, the two boys were separated. 16-year-old Michael Bever was taken into an interrogation room where cameras were rolling and an officer read him his rights. Michael agreed to waive them and started talking. The brothers had been planning the murders for months. According to Michael, it was all Robert's idea. The two boys shared a room in the house. They also shared a fascination with mass murders and serial killers. Michael said that when Robert first started telling him that he wanted to kill their family, he didn't take his brother seriously. That was until he saw Robert begin buying body armor and knives on eBay. Robert told Michael that he thought society was pointless and that he wanted to be a famous mass murderer. Robert's goal was to beat the kill rates of other famous mass murderers, like the Columbine school shooters who killed 13, and James Holmes, who murdered 12 at a movie theater in Colorado. Michael told police that he didn't really believe that his brother ever intended to follow through with it, but that all changed on June 30, 2015, when 18-year-old Robert Bever realized that he could legally purchase guns online. From that moment on, every night in their room, the two brothers carefully plotted not only the murder of their parents and siblings, but a killing spree that would span several states, a rampage that would break records and make them both famous. Now that Robert was sure that Michael was in, he purchased more knives for his brother, helmets, and body armor to match his, and the two began gradually throwing away their old toys and clothes, anything they didn't need, to make room in their closet for all the body armor and weapons. The guns that Robert purchased online would be shipped to a local gun shop, where the boys could pick them up when they were ready. The ammunition Robert purchased would be shipped to the Bever family home. The plan, Michael said, was first to stab their parents and siblings to death 
instead of shooting them, because it was quieter. The boys carefully divided between themselves who would kill who, because it would be faster. Then they would put the bodies in the attic, take the family car, pick up the guns, and drive toward Washington State, stopping at gas stations and rest stops, murdering as many people as they could at random. It was all about the kill rate, Michael explained. Fifty or more to be the new record holders. Robert hoped to kill over a hundred. When Robert checked the tracking information for the nearly 3,000 rounds of ammunition that he ordered to the house, the boys realized that they needed to kill their entire family the day before the boxes arrived so that their parents wouldn't discover the packages. The Bever brothers had chosen a date, July 22nd. But when the time came, Michael said, nothing went according to plan. I didn't want to do that. I shouldn't have done that, Michael told police. I didn't like it the minute it started. It started that night when their sister, 13-year-old Crystal, came upstairs to the boys' room to tell them that their mother wanted them to do the dishes. That's when the brothers told her to look at something on Michael's computer, and when she walked over to the desk, Robert came up behind her and slit her throat. Robert Bever told police that he believed that she would die silently and was surprised to hear her scream. Robert kept stabbing her. It was Crystal's screams that alerted their mother. Crystal managed to run out of the room, all the way out the front of the house, as Robert chased her with his knife. Their mother screamed when she saw Crystal, Oh my God! Oh my God! As she ran out the front door, Crystal noticed that she had an organ hanging out of her stomach. I kind of just held it with my hand. Crystal told detectives that she passed out on the front lawn and woke to find herself being dragged back inside by her brother, leaving the trail of blood that would soon prompt police to kick in their door. She could hear her other siblings screaming. That's when I realized what was happening, Crystal later told detectives. They were trying to kill everyone. Both Michael and Robert admit to then stabbing their mother. According to Michael, it was their mother's screams to call the police that drew their father out. As their mother and Crystal lay bleeding to death, Robert stabbed their father. It was around this time that Michael went looking for 12-year-old Daniel. He found him hiding in his room with Michael's own cell phone quietly crying, making the critical and heartbreaking 911 call, which would ultimately bring the police to the Bevers' door. Michael snatched the phone from Daniel and smashed it. Everything was going wrong. Daniel and seven-year-old Christopher ran. Daniel locked himself in their father's office. Christopher locked himself in the bathroom. Michael told police that in order to get his younger brothers... He pleaded for their help. Help, 
Robert's after me, he begged. They opened the doors. During his police interview, Michael maintained that during the incident, he only stabbed his mother once and his brother Christopher twice. When an officer asked what his little brother Christopher ever did to him, Michael said, nothing. It was pointless. He said that as Christopher lay screaming on the floor of the bathroom next to the toilet, he decided that he didn't want to murder anyone. When asked by investigators why he followed through with the murders if he didn't want to do it, he said that Robert had told him, if I didn't do it with him, then he would just kill me too. He just wanted to be famous. When the brothers heard a knock at the front door, they ran out the back of the house and into the woods as the sound of sirens approached. Michael recalled that as they hid in the woods, Robert asked him, How many did you get? I told him three, Michael said, but I only stabbed Christopher and my mom. Michael then recalled feeling relief when he saw police carrying his two-year-old sister Autumn out of the house unharmed. When asked why their two-year-old sister wasn't injured, Michael said that Robert must have forgotten about her, or that maybe Robert thought that Michael had killed her. Robert told Broken Arrow detectives that he had planned to cut off baby Autumn's head with a hatchet. As Michael Bever told his version of events in one room of the police station that early morning of July 23rd, his brother Robert was in the other room, bragging to detectives that he had been planning to kill his parents since he was 13 years old. He explained that he had gotten a job at a call center in order to earn the money to purchase knives, body armor, helmets, guns, and ammunition. Robert said, that he liked guns because his parents hated them. He told detectives that he and his brother Michael had planned to cut up the bodies and store them in tubs in the attic. They had also planned to make two videos, one with the bodies for the police and another without that could be posted on YouTube. Robert said, that he admired serial killers and believed that if he killed more than one person, it would make him godlike. Robert explained to the detective that killing was not a bad thing and that he always thought about doing it. Robert believed that if he killed enough people, he would eventually kill one who was not contributing to society and that that would be a good thing. He believed that he and his brother could kill a hundred people without anyone even missing them. Detectives listened, disturbed, as Robert laughed and chuckled through his story. At times, they noted, he even seemed excited. When their sister, Crystal, was interviewed by detectives in the hospital, Crystal told them that her brothers had talked for over a year about wanting to kill their family and steal their money. She said they told her that they admired mass shooters and said 
that they wished more of them got away with their crimes. Crystal said her brothers told her there were too many people in the world. When Crystal told her parents what her brothers said and that Robert bought body armor, she said her mother replied, boys being boys. Their father's response was that the boys were wasting their money. Crystal also confirmed that the children and their mother were abused by their father for years. She told detectives that David Bever tightly controlled the family, homeschooling the children, keeping them away from others, and that her father would sometimes throw the children across the room when he was angry. She also recalled a fight between her parents where she witnessed her father throw her mother and hit her head against the wall. She then remembered her parents talking about having been too rough on Robert and Michael when they were younger. Robert and Michael Bever were arraigned in court on August 3, 2015. Local authorities called the killings the worst single criminal event in Broken Arrow history. The boys pleaded not guilty to the charges filed against them, and a preliminary hearing was set for October 28th, and then later to January 22nd, and then changed again to February 23rd, 2016. On June 17th, Robert Bever attempted suicide by hanging with a bedsheet. Tulsa County Sheriff's Office spokeswoman Casey Roebuck said that the suicide attempt was discovered by a detention officer. Medical staff cut him down and determined that he was uninjured. He was then moved to suicide watch. On July 25th, authorities announced that Michael Bever would be charged as an adult. In Oklahoma, first-degree murder carries the punishment of life imprisonment or the death penalty. However, the Tulsa County District Attorney said that Michael Bever would be exempt from a death sentence since he was under 18 at the time of the murders. Michael's attorney argued against the constitutionality of the decision, stating that Michael would die in prison and that that is the same as a death sentence. He also argued that Michael Bever should be rehabilitated instead of imprisoned if he was physically and emotionally abused at home. They also attempted to argue that Robert Bever was the mastermind and that he had led his younger brother astray. The brothers were tried separately. Robert Bever pleaded guilty to all five counts of murder and received a life sentence without the possibility of parole. In 2018, three years after the murders, Michael Bever was tried as an adult. Michael's lawyers attempted an insanity defense, arguing that it was his older brother, Robert, who had coerced Michael into helping him. They argued that in an abusive home where the children were isolated their whole lives, quote, Robert became more than just a brother, more than just a mentor. He became Michael's whole world. Robert Bever took the stand in his brother's trial, and when shown a photo of one of the bloodied murder weapons, Robert broke down into tears. 
That's a lot of blood, he sobbed. I'm sorry, I don't know what I was thinking. Robert then told the courtroom that he is now on medication and has been diagnosed with a major depressive disorder, PTSD, and borderline personality disorder. According to witnesses in the courtroom, Michael never looked at his brother. Crystal Bever gave her testimony by closed-circuit TV from a nearby courtroom to spare her from having to see her brother. She wore a pink sweater, her scars visible on her arms and her neck. Crystal testified that she hadn't actually seen her brother Michael stab anyone. She did recall that while Robert was attacking her, she could hear her mother screaming and concluded that it was possible that Michael was stabbing their mother at the time. Michael, sitting behind the TV listening, unable to see his sister, wiped tears from his eyes as Crystal described waking up in the hospital and asking if their parents were okay. Michael Bever received five consecutive life sentences with the possibility of parole. Half of the 12 jurors in Michael Bever's trial sent the judge a letter asking that Michael get the chance to go free one day. With five consecutive life sentences, it is unlikely that Michael Bever will ever be released. I don't understand what happened, Michael said. I wake up in the middle of the night and look over thinking that I'm going to ask one of my little brothers a question. Even three years later, I can't believe that it actually happened. Over the years, the Broken Arrow community came together to collect funds to deal with the Bever House in the hopes of demolishing it and creating a park. They hoped that enough money could be raised to purchase the house from the Bever's mortgage holder and lending company. In 2017, the house burned down mysteriously. On the land where it once stood, the city council built the Bever Family First Responders Memorial Park. And on March 27, 2019, Reflection Park was dedicated in an official ceremony. A path now meanders through a knoll of grass where the Bever House once stood. In prison, Michael Bever kept a red composition notebook in which he drew childlike pictures of death and swastikas in crown and a stick figure drawing of cult leader Jim Jones calling him his hero. Among the drawings was a story. Once upon a time, there were brothers named Michael and Robert. They hated their family, so they killed them. The end. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.